Amen. Dr. Patterson, Mrs. Patterson, thank you for the opportunity to see you once again and to have the privilege to share with so many familiar faces and these students today. It's a privilege to be back on the campus and to see how God continues to bless Southwestern Seminary. You know, if you are going to preach the word and reach the world, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us, whether it's in the Philippines or Brazil or in the neighborhoods that surround Southwestern Seminary, or perhaps with teams that go out and vibe this nation uh, revival time that you will be participating in the next month, you'll be surprised at the reaction that you receive from people when you share the gospel. If you've been faithful in Dr. Queen's classes, going out and evangelizing, witnessing, it's quite possible that you have received a different reaction uh, from people uh, and you can categorize them into one of three classes. If you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Mark this morning, Mark chapter 15, as Mark paints a picture for us around the cross when Jesus suffered and bled and died for you and for me and for the sins of the world, Mark paints a picture for us which shows us that when we witness to people, we can expect one of three reactions to the cross of Christ. If you'll stand with me in honor of the word of the Lord, just want to begin reading in verse 21 and down through verse 27, and then we'll continue on through the chapter. Then they compelled a centurion man, Simon the Syrian, a father of the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, he was numbered with the transgressors. Will you pray with me? Gracious Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to stand before your word and to allow it to search our hearts and search our lives. Father, we're thankful for the cross of Christ. We're thankful, Father, we have sung this morning that, Lord, to consider that you would send your son to die for a wretched sinner such as me. Thank you for your great love. And Father, thank you that we have the privilege to take the gospel to the world, and to share with them the good news that Jesus not only died for me, and for these before me, but for others that we meet each and every day. And Father, as we are faithful to bear the cross and to bear witness of the cross, Father, today instruct our hearts and minds as to what we might expect as we share that gospel. And Father, may we have the right reaction to the cross so that we might change the world for Jesus. We ask these things today in his precious name and for his sake. And all God's people said, amen and amen. One of three reactions to the cross that we might experience if you go and share the gospel is that many people that you engage with will misunderstand the cross. Mark paints the picture for us that day when Christ suffered and bled and died. He says that as Christ was hanging there on the cross that those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, 
aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Mark paints a picture here that all those gathered around our Lord, whether hanging on crosses beside him, whether with the Sadducees and Pharisees and the religious people that day who had gotten their wish and had the usurper crucified, or just those passers-by who entered into the city and saw those who were suffering and hanging for their crimes, as they gathered there around him, Mark tells to us, they mock the Savior as he hangs on the cross. Like little schoolhouse children bawling up their accusations against him. They hurl abuses at him, blaspheming him, wagging their fingers in his face, crying out to him, saying, Save yourself, Messiah. They mock his words. They said to him, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Now, our Lord actually did say this. In fact, if you flip over to Mark chapter 14, what you discover is when they tried to trump up charges against our Lord, it says there in Mark 14, 58, that there were some who rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even did their testimony agree. This is recorded over in John chapter 2 when Jesus was teaching the disciples about his destiny, what his appointed purpose and plan was to go and die and fulfill the Father's will. That you destroy this temple, he said, and I will rebuild it in three days. But even they did not understand that he was referring to himself and not the majestic temple that Solomon, that had been built there that day. So they trumped up charges and they mock his words as he hangs there on the cross. Others that are gathered there hurling abuse at him, blaspheming him, mock his works. He saved others himself he cannot save. And certainly Mark would record for us over and over in his gospel. There as he records uh, for perhaps uh, uh, the, the Romans where Peter was preaching. Uh, he records all of the instances where Jesus saved others, whether it was uh, the centurion's child, whether it was Lazarus. Whether it, whether it was uh, uh, the, the woman's child, and he just said, Talitha Kumi, come little child. He often saved others. But it's because he hangs now, suffering and dying for the sins of the world, that he cannot save himself. And so it is, even to this day, that those that take a stand for the cross can expect that the world in which we live will mock our words or they'll mock our works. You take a stand today for Jesus, and you take a stand for the cross, and you can expect that some will mock what you say and what you believe, and they will mock the Savior who bled and died for them. Many people will mock the cross. It's not just those that we engage in from door-to-door -door witnessing. It's not just those uh, in the media and on television that find it uh, a joy to lampoon or, or portray the Christian as the moron on TV. It's growing in our culture all around us that it's the Christian, it's the one identified with Jesus that is mocked and ridiculed for his faith. But frankly, we shouldn't be surprised, should we? 
Paul told Timothy over in 2 Timothy that anyone who desires to live godly will endure affliction, will suffer. It should not be an why is this happening to me moment. We should expect that when we stand for Christ, when we stand for righteousness, that the world who does not know our God will not always understand and they may actually mock us for what we believe. But as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when that happens, rejoice because the Father says there is a blessing for you and for me that while the world may sneer at us, our Father smiles upon us when we unashamedly take a stand for him. And so it is in this day when you share the gospel, don't be surprised that many, many will mock the cross. They will say, I don't need to hear that. that that's not for me. That's, that's your faith. Don't be surprised if they outright reject you or perhaps even in this day in our age begin to persecute us for what we believe. Mark says not only will some, many mock the cross, but he goes on and says that actually there are some that misunderstand the cross. Follow with me in verse 33. When the sixth hour had come, there was a darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now notice this. Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone, let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. You see, there are some who misunderstood the cross that day. They misunderstood the scriptures. Jesus in that moment, which we don't understand the fullness of all that was happening, a darkness covers the land, and interestingly, darkness covers the minds of individuals. And in that moment, when, when God is laying upon Jesus, the sin of the world, and he is paying the full penalty for, for you and for me because he was, he was wanting to do the will of the Father above all things. He had already been through the Garden of Gethsemane and asked if the cup could pass. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He's drinking the cup of God's wrath for the wretchedness of sinners like you and me. And in that moment when he cries out, fulfilling what David had written in Psalm 22, fulfilling the words of the cross that David had penned hundreds of years before this event, they misunderstand the scriptures. What he's saying. I mean, if they had known, known their scriptures, they would have known he's fulfilling what David had said as he cries out from Psalm 22, verse 1, the psalm of the cross. And in that moment, they misunderstand him as he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, and they think he's crying for Elijah. Not only do they misunderstand the scriptures, but frankly, they misunderstand the Savior. Did you see what they did? Someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to take him down. You know, they thought that Elijah was one who would deliver people in need. Uh, just as Elijah had been whisked away to heaven in that fiery chariot, they believed that perhaps Elijah would return one day and, and save those that were in dire need or distress. 
And so as they hear Jesus crying out, they misunderstand who the true Savior is. Jesus has already met with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark's gospel. He sent him back to heaven because his work had already been done. But in this moment, they're crying out. They're hearing him cry out, and they say, let's keep him alive. Who knows? Perhaps Elijah will come. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus was misunderstood. Because if you follow through Mark's gospel and the other gospels as well, what we see is he was often misunderstood. Even as a young boy, you recall when he went to uh, the temple with his parents and they returned home and after a day's journey there, they began looking around and said, where's Jesus? Where, where is he? And then when they went back, his mother went and found him there in the temple, I believe teaching the Pharisees a thing or two. And she said, uh, son, you need to come. You need to come. And what did he say? Did you not understand? I must be about my father's business. How often when Jesus was teaching the parables to uh, the disciples, how often did he have to rebuke them and say, are you so uh, short in understanding? Are you so blind in seeing? Do you not understand the, the parables, the teaching that I'm giving you? And even Peter over in Earlier in Mark's gospel, when he made the great confession that day, when Jesus was asking, who, who do you say that I, who do men say that I am and, and who do you say that I am? It was Peter who made that great confession that said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And even then when Jesus explained what that meant, that that meant him going to Calvary to die and, and to suffer at the hands of of, of, of the rulers of that day. Peter said, whoa, 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 Lord, that's not part of the plan. And the day of the great confession, Peter made a great blunder, didn't he? Because he didn't understand all that it entailed in Jesus' mission and purpose. You see, Jesus was often misunderstood. And so it is today, people misunderstand the scriptures and they misunderstand the Savior. They misunderstand the scriptures. Do you notice that sometimes people don't understand that unless you repent and believe, you cannot be saved. That's always been the message of the kingdom. When Jesus burst on the scene in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. That is what it has always been in the Old Testament and the New. Repent and believe. And yet we have dismissed repentance we have dismissed repentance even in our gospel appeal and the need for people to realize that we're wretched sinners in need of a Savior. People misunderstand the Savior as well today. Uh, they, they think that Jesus is one way among many, like many spokes of the wheel, all pointing at one hub, and the hub is God. And you can have your Buddha, you can have your Muhammad, you can have your Confucius, you can even have your own way. And yet Jesus is the one that said no, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. He's the only way. Some people misunderstand the scriptures, and some people misunderstand the Savior. They misunderstand it completely, and they think, you know what, I can just put that off. I can just put that off. I can wait. It's no big deal. I'll just wait. Not realizing that today is the day of salvation. There's an urgency when you and I share the gospel with someone and we share the message of the cross with someone that, you know what, we're not promised tomorrow. That it's a point in a man wants to die and then the judgment. There's, there's no second chance. 
That today, the day that you hear, you're accountable for that truth that you receive, that God gives you. And thus, even in our appeal, as we're giving that scripture to them, as we're sharing with them the message of the cross, there, there must be a, a passion within us and, a, and an urgency to re- help them to realize, don't misunderstand, that there's no promise that another chance will be given. People, some people, misunderstand the cross. In fact, while many mock the cross and some misunderstand the cross, this is the best part right here. There's a few that marvel in the cross. Notice what he says in verse 37. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this, he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God exclamation point what did that centurion see that day that said to him I must stand in awe of the one who has died here on this cross certainly as a centurion perhaps he was responsible that day for uh, the requirement to crucify all the criminals he would have been one who like a captain in the army would have been over a a command of perhaps a hundred soldiers And so perhaps he was the one there. It was written for him, here, go crucify these criminals. And and as he paraded them down the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, he, he saw them marching on their way to the place of death. And as his soldiers would then lay down the criminals upon the crosses, and they begin to, to hammer the nails into their hands, what does he hear Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What? Never seen a criminal do that. There he begins to hoist up, the, the, his soldiers hoist up Jesus and, and the others there that are being charged and, and pet, um, cru- crucified for their sins. And he hears them all blaspheming him and mocking him. And, and then one of the criminals looks at him and says, wait a second, we're suffering because we deserve it. This is a, a just man, an innocent man. Why is he suffering? And what does Jesus say? Truly today, You'll be with me in paradise. What? Never heard that before. And as Jesus is suffering there, Mark highlights that at that moment, he cries out with a loud voice and breathes his last. Who who knows whether he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. To tell us die, it's finished. And he dies. Centurion sees all that. He stands back and says, Truly, this man was the son of God. He marvels in the cross. He marvels in everything that he's seen that day. I I doubt a darkness had ever covered the moments uh, of suffering for individuals and, and of persecution or prosecution of criminals as it had that day. He sees all of these events and he marvels in the cross and what is taking place on the cross. Now, if we look in the text, what's fascinating is there's two reasons given right here why you and I should marvel in the cross. Uh, First, notice what it says here. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and voice and breathed his last. You see, I marvel in the cross because Jesus' work is complete. 
praise God, I don't have to add anything to his completed work. It's some people misunderstand the cross even in this way. Paul dealt with it in Galatians, that, that we need to add something to Christ's sacrifice. Beloved, we don't have to add anything, praise God. <laughs> we just get to rejoice in it, that, that that blessing of grace extends to us, and now we are free in Christ. We marvel in that fact, that it's all complete, nothing to be added. Mark gives us a second reason why we should marvel in the cross. He says, at that moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Well, what does that signify for you and for me? Well, well, that veil, which used to prohibit individuals from coming into the presence of the holy God, now through the veil of Christ's flesh, the veil in the temple's rent, and now we have free access. That, beloved, now we can go freely to the throne of God, a throne of grace, and we can cry out to him and marvel that all the blessings are ours because of what Christ has done for you and for me. You see, I marvel in the cross because it's the way we're saved, the way I'm saved. But even more than that, we marvel in the cross because it's the way we live. You see, there seems to be a crossless Christianity afoot where we've not learned the beauty that this is not a try-harder religion. This is a die-harder religion. That it's when we die to self, we take up the cross daily and follow him. That, that I find my life in losing it. I marvel in that fact. Now, sadly, in this day and in this age in which we live, so many people marvel in all the wrong things. You notice that? When I was a young boy, my grandfather gave me a $100 bill. And I looked at that $100 bill and I said, that's a lot of bubble gum. And yet, beloved, stop for a minute and just reflect on all the riches that are ours as we have been made joint heirs with Christ. Woo-hoo! What our Father in heaven has blessed us with. What an amazing thought that now we are heirs to an eternal kingdom because of what Christ has done. Some people marvel in England. My mom was born in Salisbury, England. And if you travel there and you go to the Tower of London, they'll let you see the crown jewels. And you can marvel at, you know, pearls and diamonds the size of coconuts, right? And yet, you know, that's just the building material of heaven. And we marvel in these things. Uh, in North Carolina, we have this amazing building. Uh, actually, it's like a European castle called the Biltmore House. Uh, my bride loves to go there, and I love to take her there. That's probably what I need to get her for Valentine's Day is another trip. But you know, every time I walk in there, I always say, my father's building something better. Because he is. And you know what? We're privileged that we have access to it because of Christ. But may I just challenge you today to consider something about marveling in the cross? Marveling in the fact that Christ has paid it all. God's not going to love us more. God's not going to love us any less. He loves us in Christ. And so we, 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 we now can go boldly and serve him and share Christ with others. And that you and I will find our identity as we die to self. And as we find life in Christ 
the plans and purposes that you have, that you think God's calling you to, unless they're fully surrendered to him, you know what? We'll never realize what it is that God wants us to do until we die to ourselves. It's amazing. Jesus says that when you die to self, you find life in him. You see, many people mock the cross. Some misunderstand the cross. But praise God, there's a few that marvel in the cross and are willing to go wherever the Father says go. This morning, uh, as Dr. Patterson said, I had to get up quite early to be with you, and I was excited when that alarm went off. In fact, I got up before my alarm went off at 321. Took my shower, got in my car, made my way down a country road in North Carolina over to the freeway, down to the airport, and then had that joyful experience with TSA. <laughs> you have a lot of time to reflect when you're in line. Now, do you know why I had to stand in line for an hour at TSA? So they could hug me. <laughs> because in 2001, Muhammad Atta and 18 other men climbed aboard planes. They decided that they were willing to die for a lie. Think about this. 19 men were willing to die for a lie and look at how the world has changed. And yet we have the truth. We have the gospel. We are called to die as well. Not that we might take out others, but that they might find life. We should be convicted. We should be burdened that they're more committed to a lie than some of us are to the truth. And perhaps it's the case that we're not marveling in the cross and realizing all that God has done and wants to do in us and through us. And perhaps today, out here before me, are just 19 individuals who are willing to say, I marvel in the cross. Like the great hymn writer said, Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for a sinner such as I? Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon a tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. We've lost the awe of it. Beloved, we need to have revival and repentance in our hearts that once again we stand back and say, you did that for me. Father, what can I do for you? Pray with me. Gracious Father, we are thankful today, empty-handed beggars that we are, that you would send your precious son to die for us and to send him to be the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Father, may we, like Paul, embrace our identity by marveling in the cross and realizing that we find life by losing it for you.
that we, like Paul, might make that great confession. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then, Father, as we die to ourselves, marveling in all that you've done at Calvary, may we obediently and in faith go forward to change a world for you. Thank you, Lord, that in that exercise, you do not leave us alone, but you empower us when there's complete surrender. God, work through us, we pray, for your glory and honor, King Jesus, we ask it. Amen and amen.